Hello, everyone, and welcome to the In Squash podcast. Uh, this is episode 38, and a great one it is. Uh, really excited about this episode. Oh, oh, and by the way, I'm your host, Jerry Gibson. Uh, today on the podcast, we have English great, former world number one, world champion, and uh, Super Series uh, title champion uh, twice here in Dubai. Laura Macero is our guest. I had the, uh, the pleasure of meeting her very briefly uh, on a few occasions while she was here a few weeks ago. And uh, it was great. It's great to have her uh, on the podcast. Uh, we cover a lot of uh, interesting topics, including her, uh, her successes here in Dubai, the last uh, two of the last three uh, Super Series finals that she's won. Uh, and this time around, uh, I got to see all of her pool matches, two of which she won, the first two, and it sort of looked like she was primed to make another run at, the, at a third uh, win here. But uh, strangely, uh, she lost uh, to Camille uh, to Love in, the final, in her final pool match, and uh, uh, as it turned out, she wasn't able to qualify for the, uh, the playoff. But, uh, you know, she's had success here, so nothing to be ashamed of and uh, hopefully she makes it back uh, next year now on the podcast today we uh, talk about uh, her uh, her successes and this most recent tournament here in Dubai uh, we also look at uh, her relationship with her husband and coach uh, Danny uh, Macero and we also uh, look at uh, parody in the women's game uh, and a little anecdote uh, which dates back to the world championship I believe in 2011 could be wrong on the date there, but uh, that was the year uh, that the women's uh, event was canceled, and uh, her and a few of her friends had something uh, to say, and rightfully so, about that uh, on the women's side. <coughs> and um, also, uh, coming throughout her career in the uh, in the illustrious shadow of uh, none other than Nicole David, uh, must have been uh, a bit uh, difficult for her, but uh, in 2011 she overcame that, and uh, we talk a bit about uh, how that uh, helped jumpstart maybe her uh, her rise to the top of the world rankings. So, anyways, uh, it was a really great chat with uh, Laura. She was really generous with her time. We talked for for almost an hour, and we could have gone on for for quite a bit more. So I hope you enjoy this one, Laura Macero, episode 38 on the In Squash podcast. All right. Well, this is uh, episode uh, 38 of the In Squash podcast. And today I'm delighted to have on the podcast an all-time English great. Uh, as she said, she's ticked all the boxes. She won her first tour title in 2004, the German Open, world, uh, world champion in 2013, world number one in 2016, and currently sitting at world number seven. Uh, Laura Macero is my guest today. Laura, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. We're really looking forward to it. Great, great. Well, uh, as, I, as I said to you earlier, I got to see you play um, in Dubai a few weeks ago, and I was really, uh, really impressed. Uh, although you didn't get through, it was kind of unfortunate. I thought for sure she's getting through and then uh, kind of unlucky there. We'll talk about that in a bit. But you just got uh, back from your, I guess, vacation, a bit of time away from squash. Um, what uh, what did you do, and uh, what does your summer squash uh, schedule look like for you? Yeah, I have. Um, I just got back uh, from holiday, and um, it was really, really nice to just sit and do nothing. I mean, normally my holidays involve a little bit more moving. Uh, you know, I went to Florida um, with Danny, my husband, on our honeymoon, and normally quite like to do something active while I'm on holiday, but way the season's panned out this year with it's been a really grueling schedule since since January really but it's been crazy so we played around you know toyed around with a lot of ideas of what to do um, but in the end it was just why fly anywhere when we're already in Dubai so we just booked a really nice hotel just down the road from where we were in the hotel and just enjoyed the week sun and chilling and ate and drank far too much and <laughs> a few books and just everything that you you know really don't get a chance to do when you when you're playing and training full time. So I uh, loved it and got home and had a couple of days at home and then actually had to go and play Polish league, which obviously I knew before my break, but it's such good fun. It's one of the best leagues that I play. So it was sort of something to look forward to, even though it was back to squash and uh, 
I got back from there um, a couple of days ago, and and I just plan on having another another few days off before I start um, start my summer training properly. Right on. Well, uh, that that sounds like a great, uh, a ni- nice uh, bit of a reprieve from squash. Uh, hopefully, um, you don't have too much uh, too much wine and um, and uh, pudding to to work off. <laughs> well, I'd like to say I don't, but I mean, obviously, I'm I haven't gone up a dress size or anything but I've got a little bit of uh, like anybody who's been on holiday for a couple of weeks anyone will know it's not easy to do no exercise and eat what you want and not put any weight on so I'll have a bit of work to do when I finally get back training but you know every squash is the sport that it is for a reason and as soon as you start getting training hard it just it just takes care of itself really which is, which is great yeah it just get, it'll give you a little bit of extra incentive and in that first the first few weeks to get moving right yeah, definitely get my diet back in order and start to feel healthy and look, you know, start to want to move and play a bit. And that's that's the thing. I, I was going to start. Um, I was going to start with my summer training this week, but the, the schedule's been so brutal. And with Poland and having played a little bit last week, I just figured I'm just going to wait. I've got 10, 15 years under my belt of summer training, so um, yeah. I really don't need a full summer like a lot of people do, like a three month summer before we start the training. So. Um, yeah, I'm just going to wait till I'm 100% um, motivated to make the changes that I want for next season. Well, you appear, I mean, I saw you play, like I mentioned, uh, in Dubai, and I've seen you uh, quite a bit on squash uh, TV. And I'm not sure uh, whether if you just look younger, or you look very fit. Um, you maybe you don't have a lot of injuries, but uh, the the male players like uh, the older guys like Gaultier and Matthew, that a lot is made of their their uh, elder statesmanship uh, being in their mid thirties. But uh, I've, I've never, I mean, you're you're approaching thirty five. Um, how have you uh, managed to to stay uh, healthy and uh, fit through all of these years? And how are you feeling uh, now as you head uh, head into that? Uh, sort of age of 35 uh, and heading into another season on the PSA tour? Yeah, I mean, um, it's hard to it's hard to actually put it down probably to, to you know, one thing, but we were, we were actually having a chat about this, um, you know, thinking about next season and the improvements that I want to make and how keen I am even still, like you say, at 34 to still try and really push on and make improvements and still challenge for titles it takes a lot of a lot of motivation and it's not it doesn't you know to just say oh i'm going to do another season on tour it's not a decision that comes just oh yeah we'll just play and see what happens it's it's a commitment and it's a big commitment to to make the changes that you feel you need to to be able to challenge for the big events and then stick to it and um and believe that they can come good and as for my physicality and my body i again it's really difficult you know people would probably argue that I've just been lucky with injury and I'm sure there is an element of luck um, as well as there always is in professional sport but I've, al- I've always been um, you know one of the one of the probably more professional players on tour particularly since um, well from a young age but particularly the last seven or eight years just you know real attention to detail I do a lot of prehab a lot of rehab I spend a lot of money on looking after my body and um, sort of with the mindset of of you know investing to sort of reap the reward for that later and um, I guess when you get to 34 you look back and you think about all the massages that you had all the physio that you had when there wasn't necessarily an injury but it was more of a maintenance treatment go into the physio when there's a tiny little niggle and the phys- you know the physio will say to me quite a lot you know you come when it's treatable Whereas a lot of people wait until it's an injury and then it has to be a process to treat it. And so I think over the course of my career, it's just having that attitude and you get to 34 and you look back and you think, wow, I've spent a lot of money. But in return, I've been able to play a heck of a lot more because of being free of injury. And um, I think that's helped. I think having, having a good professional attitude around my training, staying strong, doing all the right things around Asking, asking my body to throw itself around a squash court, you have to be strong and stable to do that. You can't just go on court and, and throw Absolutely. yourself around without getting injured. So, yeah, so yeah um, I think it's, it's a combination of everything, really, and, um, and, I have, and, and a little bit of luck as well. But it's, it has been a good career, and I have been, uh, have been lucky to be able to play so long without any injuries. 
Yeah, I had um, Gregory Galche on a, a while back, and uh, I asked him a similar question, and he was he was just basically saying there's no way he could uh, manage to do what he did when he was younger uh, these days in terms of his training, and he's tweaked it a bit, and um, uh, he doesn't do maybe as, as many uh, crazy ghosting sessions as he used to. Uh, is this kind of a thing that you um, you do in terms of adapting your training uh, over the the next few seasons is that what you expect to do for yourself as well yeah I think so I mean I, I even for this summer to be honest I there's no point in me absolutely killing myself for a 12-week summer program I've got so much strength and muscle memory and endurance in my body from the years and years of training and the years of summer that have already been put in and as a junior, that's hugely important to be able to hit a summer training and put in the endurance work because endurance builds year on year. And hopefully you get to the point where you get to my age and you just have to top up the endurance and it's the speed and the strength and the power that you really have to work on that drops off as you get a little bit older. So that power and speed and strength just needs to be underpinned with, with good quality hard training, but it doesn't need to be the stuff that's going to absolutely kill you. And yeah. Of course, as the season gets closer and we're four or five weeks out, then it's going to step up and the volume is going to be high and it's going to be hard. So you can back up day to day in a tournament. You can have a five setter three days, four days in a row, and you can handle that because you've done it in your training before. But that doesn't need to be the work that's done for eight to 12 weeks as it used to be when it was, you know, when I was 18 to 25, for example. So yeah, it shifts slightly and so does your mental side start to believe in your body, you know, your strengths, you know, your weaknesses a little bit better and you build on them through the summer as well. So you train, you train smarter, not harder. Yeah, exactly. And you recover more as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, one thing I noticed, uh, obviously, uh, you had two in the Dubai uh, in the Super Series. It's a, it's best three format, but you came through in the two, uh, in the two longer matches against the younger opposition, so... Yeah, um, I mean, obviously, I mean, Dubai was, was brilliant. And those first two days were two really cracking results for me and something yeah. that I was really happy with. And, um, you know, it was great to start the event like that, but it just shows with not getting out of the group how important those games are. And I think when I won it last year, the the important thing was I knew I was qualified out of the group going in with a game, to ha game, a game in hand because I'd won my matches 2-0, 2-0. And then um, that was the key, really. So winning 2-1, 2-1, it just keeps, you know, everyone in play and the way that the results fell. And it came down to that last day. And, yeah, unfortunately, it just didn't quite go my way, which was a little bit, it's a shame when you feel like you've got two wins from two. But mm. in the end, everybody sort of had two wins. It just came down to those wins coming on the last day a little bit. So, yeah, frustrating and a little bit disappointing. But still really positive to be able to you know get a win over Sarah Jane Perry who's beaten me the last couple of times we played and Renee yeah. who's obviously playing at the top of her game it can, it can give me a lot of confidence going into my summer I think absolutely yeah two big wins and do you think uh, you know maybe it wasn't more it wasn't maybe your game it was maybe perhaps uh, maybe, uh, maybe I'm wrong but uh, maybe you got a little bit ahead of yourself having won two in a row won your first two matches maybe you thought, oh, I'm going to get there again. Yeah, I mean, there's always, I definitely thought I had a I'm chance. talking like your husband here, like a psychologist. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, I'm used to it. <laughs> I, can answer, I can answer these questions. Water off the duck's back. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, obviously when you win two from two, there's a part of you that thinks, yeah, like I'm pretty much qualified now. But I also knew there was a fair chance that Renine would want to get through and she would beat Sarah Jane Perry, who was sort of out of the running in, in that in, in, at that point and Camille was still in the mix if she could beat me so yeah it, I, I knew going in it was still going to be a really hard hard thing um if I'm honest it 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 took um the match against Sarah Jane Perry was probably a bit harder than it looked um it's it had been really it'd been really difficult in the lead up from the Commonwealth Games to to really train the way that I wanted to. I put in a really good month in the lead up to the Commonwealth Games. But then when we were left for the Commonwealth Games before we got well, we got back just um, after Elguna British Open, sorry, European teams. And then I had three days at home pretty much in about 40. I think it worked out. And for mm -hmm. the way that I train and the way that my body is, um, 
I definitely couldn't quite get the physical sessions in that I wanted to in the lead up to Dubai and the British, to be honest. Right. Um, and so the, the match with Sarah Jane Perry, I think, was actually, and people will say it's best of three and it's shorter, but as a player on there, it's so much more intense. You push oh, yeah. harder from an earlier point in the game. Uh, from, from the from the from the first point, I mean, you guys were going at it. Yeah, exactly. And so when we got to eight all in the third game, I just remember thinking, you know, I really want to win this now. I really want to win it, and I just I just bit down on you know physically and just pushed really really hard. Um, and then obviously, I'm sure you know anyone who watched the match saw how it ended. A little bit, a little bit of an emotional interview after, a little bit of an argument, which is not always pleasant with an England teammate and you know someone I get on with quite well off the court. And that, so that emotional ending um, and sort of draining ending to the match, alongside the fact it was already quite a physical, mentally draining match to actually push myself to get over the line. Um, I think it took a little bit more out of me than maybe I sort of gave gave credit for at the time. I wasn't happy with my performance against Camille the next day and at the time didn't quite acknowledge that um, that maybe that performance against Camille had something to do with the emotional drain of the day before, not not just with the argument, but getting over the line and also the physical push. So, yeah. you know, holiday will do that. You can sort of see a different side of it and you learn and you think, okay, maybe next time when that happens, what can I do something a little bit different to maybe be able to regroup and play a little bit better the next day. But um, aside from that, I can sort of just acknowledge now, looking back at the event, that maybe it took a bit more out of me than I realised. Yeah, uh, I mean, um, I was talking to, uh, I don't know if you know him, Jamie Maddox. He's, he has the squash stories on um, Facebook, and uh, he actually yeah. posted a picture of a team, and I think you were in, in that picture with him. I'm not sure if you remember, but uh, he and I both agreed, and I think many of the, uh, the, the people who participated in this uh, forum uh, agreed that it was, rather, it was quite uh, refreshing to hear you to uh, speak your mind that way after the match, even though it was, you know, it may have come off as a bit uh, negative to some people. I thought it was rather refreshing because normally we hear, you know, people just say, oh, complimenting their opponent. It's kind of cl- yeah. a lot of cliche stuff, but uh, you spoke, yeah. I think you spoke your mind and uh, it, was, it was nice to, it was refreshing in a way. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big, I'm a big believer in, in, you know, I'm not saying that people need to be deliberately sort of nasty or out of order towards towards fellow people or opponents, but I really believe that you should be able to be honest. And there's a fine line between saying what you think that's going to rile an opponent up for next time you play them. But I tried to do the same in my post-match um, interview when I beat North Tayeb in the British Open. It's it's honesty, and and I and I've you know, trained throughout the majority of my career with trying to have as much honesty as I possibly can in, in every area of my game. And, um, you know, what I said with, against Noor in the British Open was, was along the same sort of lines. You know, I've been sitting on the sidelines watching her play and she's one of the reasons that I'm, uh, I push myself to do as well as I did in that match against her. But she's borderline cocky with what she does and it makes you want to <laughs> get a win over her while you still can. And, uh, yeah. You know, she uh, she direct messaged me the next day and said, you know, it was a, it was a good match and you gave me a lesson and I'll be ready with a plan next next time. That's cool. That's I, a... I would like to bring on the challenge. So, yeah, yeah, you know, no, that's great. Great to hear. You know. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know, she seems like a nice girl, and I'm sure she didn't take any take offense to what you said. She just thought, yeah, she, that's Laura. She's a she's a, a legend in, in the game, and I'm going to uh, I'll be back next time. Yeah, do you know what? I, I mean, I, I honestly don't have um, a bad word to say about any of the players on tour. Um, you obviously get on with some more than others, but I get asked a lot about certain players. What do I think of them? How their behaviour on court, similar to off court. We're not. We're simply not the characters that you see on the court. But when we step on there, it's you know, it's a sport where you've got to deal with your opponent in a glass box, and you have to be able to hold your own mentally and physically. And if you can't do that, you're going to lose. And it's as simple as that. So we all have a front. We all have a persona. We all we all get on with it when we want to get on court. And we all we're all there to win. And at the end of the day, it's sport. If you know, if it's if it's rugby, then you expect to get a little bit of a bump every now and again. Yeah. yeah. And squash is no different. You're in, you're in a you're in a glass box with your opponent, and you 
you'll be able to give it 100% within the rules on the court. And then when you step off court, you're all just, you know, you're all just women trying to travel in the world, playing, playing a sport together. No, exactly. Exactly. I, I completely agree. And uh, I think what you mentioned, you mentioned very briefly in your, uh, at the end of that match with uh, Sarah Jane about the unfair criticism for whatever, not clearing. I've heard it before. I've seen you play. I mean, there's nothing there. You just, uh, you're just in the rally that you're not trying. It doesn't seem to me like you're trying to not clear. You're just playing the game. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree. And I've had several conversations when I've heard comments about it from players. I've had conversations with my coach and my husband and they both agree that I'm not doing anything wrong and I trust their opinion and I trust that, that they would tell me and if I, if I needed to change anything, I, d- I don't feel like I do a lot wrong. There's other girls, you know, I'm, I'm a tall girl and, you know, you play another girl who's big, Sarah Jane Perry, you're going to have a little bit of contact just the mm. way that it is. And um, when I was younger, I 100% needed to work on my movement. Most of it became, most of it because I wasn't really fit enough or fast enough, I wasn't getting in and out of the balls well enough and, I remember back in, you know, gosh, like 2007, 2008, around that sort of time, John Massarello having a word with me at the Irish Open saying, you know, you just need to clear better. And I really couldn't understand it. But as I got fitter and stronger and got up the rankings, I could then see straight away how it was all down to physical fitness, not being able to get in and out of the corners as well as I now can do. So I'm aware that my movement has needed to change over time, but I just don't take criticism that, it, that there's anything wrong with it right now if that makes sense no i, I mean uh, uh, i've been playing squash for a long time and i didn't see anything there at all it was just a good tough uh, squash and uh, yeah. sometimes you, you especially i mean how tall is uh, sarah jane <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, i'm six foot two she she was looking at me <laughs> i was like hi sarah she's looking straight in the eye there but um but yeah yeah, so that, yeah, I agree with you there. Now, let, let's uh, take a look back. I, um, I was reading the other day, uh, on the, you did a, an, an interview on the BBC, and you mentioned uh, your, your tick box, uh, which was, at the time, uh, Super Series title, World Championship, and World Number One. Now, now do, these, uh, do these all have equal meaning uh, to you, or do... Uh, any of these three, you've ticked the boxes, right? So do, do any of these uh, stick out as being more special than the other, or are they equally uh, as um, special? Um, I would say probably, I mean, if you had, if it, they're all extremely special to me for completely different reasons. I mean, yeah. world champion just says it all. It, it trans- when I won the world championships, it transcends squash for the first time. I won a British Open. And I was just as proud as my British Open uh, title um, yeah. as I was my World Championship title. Well, the British but, Open obviously is very special to you, uh, being from yeah. Britain. Yeah, <laughs> but when I when I won my British Open, it didn't it didn't get the recognition from outside the sport that the World Championship did. It didn't get the pickup from the BBC, from the local media. Why is it, that? It, it little, sorry. Why was that? I think just because it, they, they don't quite, people outside of squash don't realize um, how prestigious the British Open is and how much it means to squash players. Yeah. Um, but when you win a world championships, it, it's clear what it is. If you're a world champion in squash or a world champion in cycling or a world champion in swimming, gymnastics, anything, it's clear you are champion of the world. And it, it's, it sort of does what it says on the tin. It means you're that good to be the best in the world. Yeah. When you say... British Open think it, it obviously you can say oh it's the Wimbledon of squash and it's prestigious and it's been going the longest to get that but a don't side of squash quite get it so for that reason the world the world championship sort of holds um, you know a big place in my heart because I you know it sort of felt like for the first time ever you got a little bit of something special from outside of the sport which was great um, but the world number one um, you know, is also it's very difficult to choose because if you'd have asked me what I wanted, you know, after I won the world championships, if you asked me what was more important, I would have said the world one because I hadn't had it. Um, and also coming through in the era of Nicole, you know, nine nine years at world number one. I mean, who ever thinks that they can really be world number one when you've had a, had a, probably the best female squash player of all time dominate the rankings oh, yeah. from when you were a junior through 
through your entire career. So um, it's something, you know, the world number one was something that I was really proud of. It's a completely different feeling. You you get to be world number one by holding it together for a significant amount of tournaments in a row. Whereas with a world championships, you have to hold it together for a week in probably the most stressful of conditions I've ever known. So two completely, completely different ways of holding things together, but um, and very unique in their own way. And the world championship final, waking up the morning of a world championship final and knowing that you've got to produce one match to be world champion is, is pressure that I, I can never describe. I can't, I can't put it into words how you feel going into that, especially having not won one before. Right. Um, so it's so it's a completely different feeling. But if I, if I had to choose, I'd probably put um, the world Cha- the world championships and world number one above the world series finals, just because they they are so special to a squash player, and they sort of make right. it very clear what they are. Um, but the world series finals is hugely is hugely special because you know when you turn up to an event and you've got the top eight in the world and you come out on the top after you know five days of playing, then, then it says that. You know, you're a pretty good player as well, and it's not easy to do. So, um, well, you, I mean, if you look at the uh, the time span there. I mean, that we're looking back to 2011 up till yeah. today. I mean, the, the longevity of your career, uh, the quality uh, uh, speaks for itself. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like we said before, you know, a lot of that's down to being able to stay healthy for the significant period that I have. It's been what I mentioned already as well about having a huge amount of honesty um, and trying to ask for honesty around the people, um, you know, the people who are around me and training with me and my coach, DP, and my husband, Danny, and Mark, my strength and conditioning trainer. They're all, you know, my, my closest my closest members of my team who, who when I say I need to improve this or I want to get better at this, they'll they'll help me do it. And then when I say, what do you think I need? They'll tell me honestly and then I go away and I work on it and I think um, the minute I think Shabagi said it um, in, in Dubai maybe but the, the minute you think you've cracked the sport or you've got a hold of it or you've figured it out I mean it just smacks you on the backside and says laughs in your face pretty much you have you've never figured out I think probably any sport but particularly particularly squash you just you'll never master the game and um you always have to be remember that you're a pupil of the game and always try and move on and learn from it and learn from your opponents and learn from uh, yeah i remember he said that yeah yeah it's yeah. big maybe against after after his match with the uh, it might have been the final actually yeah i think i think he uh, i think i heard him say it a couple of times during the week to be honest yeah. maybe in a press conference maybe maybe in one of his uh, difficult pool matches as well and yeah, he's obviously had a bit of a realization himself over uh, having had the season he did last season, and then coming back and had the season he's had this season. It's just been unbelievable for him. Yeah. Now it's uh, now this tick box. Obviously, you completed it uh, in 2016. Do you have a, a revised version? <laughs> Do you know what? It was just funny. We uh, I was just out walking walking the dog this morning and. Uh, I just was having to think about what the next season would hold. It's funny how you end up walking in, uh, you know, funny thoughts pop in your head. And I just was thinking that, um, you know, the season, probably this season has, has probably not been my most successful um, in comparison to previous seasons, but it's difficult to get too down about it because there's, there's, you know, a heck of a lot of players on tour who would, would take, my season with both hands it's been you know regular semi-finals the odd the odd quarter final and you know a few results that I haven't been happy with but overall it's been a, been an okay season mm. um and I was thinking how how can I make it you know how can I really make it better going into next season and I think my answer was what I still sort of having this internal chat with myself just this morning was if I can if I can have a better season next season than I've had this season then it could possibly be one of my biggest achievements of my career because the game is moving on. The Egyptians, you know, Noel Tayeb, Shabini, Renim, they're, they're moving the game on to a new level. Yeah. Camille, myself, Joel, um, we're all, uh, Sarah Jane Perry, the young ones that are coming up, we're all trying to, to try and develop our game in our own way. And 
if I can if I can have a better season than I have this season, then I think it will not only show that I haven't stood still, but I've actually, you know, improved and been able to close the gap on the girls that are at the very, very top right now because to even to improve to improve is just to stand still now. So I will improve over summer and if I have an equal season to this season then I think it's just shown I haven't I haven't gone backwards and I've not stood still because the game's always moving on. But if I can actually have a better season then I I think it could be, you know, my biggest achievement just because the game is moving on so quickly. So well, for definitely. me it's about making the improvements that I want to make for next season, working hard on those over the summer, getting myself in really good physical shape and then hitting the season um, in September and and just working, you know, tournament by tournament, trying to chip away and get the results that I want and hopefully, you know, make a few finals, pick a couple of wins up. And if I do that, then, I, then I'm going to be really, really proud of myself at the end of next season. Oh, definitely. And the, the women's game right now, I don't think it's ever been as competitive. Uh, I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't think it's ever been as competitive ever as, it's, uh, as it is right now. No, and I think particularly with the depth as well, um, always been maybe two or three at the top that might have been competitive or one at the top and then you know three or four underneath that were competitive and 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 that was always the way it was but the way that things are now it's almost like there's you know I mean there's there's eight that could win win a title and then you've probably got two or three in the top 12 who with an outside chance in a good week could could take it deep as well so it's tough because you kind of have to take the losses on on the chin a little bit more when the when the tour's as competitive as it is, but at the same time, um, it makes those titles that you win, you know, even more special because you know how hard they are. I mean, they're all, they've always been hard to win a title, but they're even harder now, um, if that's possible. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, typically, over I hate to say it, but I'm, I've always followed the the pro game and and definitely the men's pro game. But I'm really really excited about about the the ladies tour these days. Yeah, I think I, I get that a lot, and and obviously in in a way it's it's great that people are starting to realise that you can't you know it's you can't and it's not really fair to compare the men's game to the women's game. It's just it's just not something you can do, and they they should be taken as two two individual sports. And the women are, are hopefully pushing on the women's game, and the men the men are hopefully pushing on the men's game. And you know it's great to watch the. I, I get a lot of people that say we love watching the women. We don't know who's going to win. They make a few more errors, they, but they hit a few more winners. They don't get as many balls back, and it's sort of something that the the people watching can sort of relate to and almost understand. But you know, we all know when we watch the men, we sit there in awe sometimes and just go, "How how do they do it?" <laughs> you know, just yeah, yeah. the amount yeah. of balls that they get back. So it, it's sort of interesting for a couple of for, for completely different reasons. And I think it, I think they both hold. You know, it's obviously preference on the individual, but I think. I think both hold, you know, a real interest at the moment. Yeah. Um, now, if we, a few years ago, um, I think it was the the World Championship. It was the year that they decided not to hold the women's event. Uh, now, these days, the PSA is priding itself on having uh, parity in terms of prize money, but this wasn't always uh, the case. Um, and I think you, you and a few of your friends had something to do with perhaps uh, – uh, pushing the envelope a little bit there. What? What? Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the letter that you and uh, a few of your friends wrote at the time of the the World Championship when they decided not to have the women's event due to the the money issues that were uh, taking yeah, place? Because that kind of ties into, I think, perhaps why the the women's game is you guys are, are playing at at such a level because you're on equal terms. Yeah, I I, uh, I remember I remember. The- the situation you're talking about it's not that clear it was quite a few, it was a few years ago now mm-hmm. uh, but as I remember it we it was just the I think we were just on a national squad and for some reason we ended up uh, maybe in our review or it's, it's some sort of something cropped up and it it popped up like oh well when the world championships come round and we sort of looked at each other and we're like what world championships and so we asked a few questions and it came out oh well World Championships is going to be in Manchester and our first reaction was one of excitement because we didn't even think for a second that they would just host events when at the time we had so many successful English 
uh, women as well. And, you know, England squash, you just think equality and you think fairness and you think, well, we've got an equal amount of men and women playing the game and um, at the top of the game, uh, professional game particularly. So when it came out that it was just the men's, we were we were just livid. So we <laughs> we asked for a meeting. I, th- I think if I remember correctly, it was myself, Jenny Duncalf and Alison Waters at the time. Um, we asked for a meeting with the coach and the chief executive, which was Nick Ryder, who's now left, and basically said, you know, can you fill us in? What's happening? Why why on earth have, have you decided to not hold the women's championships? You know, it's not fair. Why, why do we deserve less than the men from an England squash point of view when we're the ones winning European teams at the top of the ranking, world team championships, same as the men. And they couldn't answer us, to be honest. It was more just, so well, we didn't have the money and we, you know, Manchester City Council will only put the money in if it's a world championship or of an equal level, which obviously I understand. But um, it just made no sense to us. So we went away and had a think about it and, we wrote a letter and sent it to the England squash board and just said how disappointed we were and how we didn't think it was fair. And, you know, it got acknowledged and, you know, at the time you don't think that anything, anything's going to happen with that. But then, you know, we, we hear uh, later on, you know, Manchester held the world championships just gone. So you look back at situations like that and I'm proud that we stuck up for what we believed in. I'm proud that we had the guts to say what we thought and, you know, who knows whether that influenced decision when it came to hosting the World Championships this year round. Hopefully, hopefully it, it did. And I hope that more women can stick up for what they feel, you know, they, they deserve. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not a feminist by, you know, by any stretch of the imagination. I don't, I don't just believe that women deserve, you know, complete equality when they're not the right person for the job. But I'm a big believer that the right person for the job is the right person for the job regardless of whether they're a male or a female and, and that's what that's why I push and I feel that the women are training just as hard they put just as much effort in we bring a bring quality to the game to the court when we play squash and so we deserve to hold the world championships at the same time as the men um, and that was what we fought for yeah uh, I mean uh, you look back at this season and the British Open, the World Championships, the um, Dubai Super, Super Series final. Uh, men and women's squash together is much better that way. Yeah, yeah, and I was part of the I was part of the few of us who who started to make the change within WSA when it's when it stretched over when the talks first. You know, it was a couple of us: um, Natalie Grinham, Latasha Khan. Myself, um, Jenny Duncalf, who were really at the front of, you know, WSA and how are we pushing on? How are we going to get more money in the game? You can see we weren't getting equality with court coverage, with squash TV was all PSA. They, they'd done it. They'd brought it on board. They'd invested the money in it and the women weren't seeing any of it. So when there was an opportunity there, and PSA came to us and said, we want to join forces and WSA weren't interested at all. Could only just see the fact that PSA only wanted us to join so they could take apparently more of the money from the women's and put it into the men's. I, you know, the f- a few of us that got on board just didn't see it that way. We, we could see that the men's game would, the men's game and therefore the game of squash would be capped if the women couldn't get on board with the, the growth of the men's game. And I still believe that to this day, that if we hadn't joined forces, not only would the women still be at a lower level and suffering, but the men would be suffering too because you just simply in a in a minority sport like squash, you just simply can't have this disparity between the men and the women. You, you're gonna the women were gonna keep the men at a lower level, and the the, the men were gonna take the money that were already involved in squash and stop the women getting getting higher. And so now together we work to build sponsors from a TV point of view. We sell the tour as one. We work together to sell the tour in the best possible light that we can and work together as a sport rather than two individual sexes trying to compete against every other sport and each other yeah for sure and and yeah the the game like i said it's so much uh so much more uh it's great better to watch when both uh men and women are playing in the same event uh yeah. in the in this it's just great quality uh adds a great quality to the game and there's been so many events where I've been at where, you know, there's been a really, maybe a really poor men's final. It's been 3-0 one way and the women's final's been, you know, a 70-minute thriller and, and vice versa as well, where the yeah. men, where the women have been quite short and the men's have saved it. 
when you just get an event with one one final, if that's a disappointing final on finals day, it, it's sort of not great. I mean, even if both finals are 3-0, at least there's two matches to watch. So I really think that, you know, working together and helping each other and having tour and, you know, at the end of the day, you want little boys and little girls watching both sports. And if the tournaments are held together, then you just bring more more of that to the to the mass participation, really. Absolutely. Now, uh, Laura, you've uh, you've been really generous with your time. I just have a couple. I hope you'll uh, indulge me here for a second. I want to read you a uh, a quote from from your husband, Danny. His name is right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he says, um, "With Laura, I'm a husband, ball machine." bag carrier coach i'm a colombo acting like i don't know what i'm doing so i'm a bit a bit of a fool figure then i'm i'm a friend mentor psychologist i play all sorts of roles in order to support her the best i can how do what's it like to have him in your corner um firstly he's totally right and you know as any not only are you, you know, married and trying to get through life as a married couple, which is, you know, not always plain sailing. I mean, hopefully for most people it, it is for the majority of it, but to try and add a layer of professional sport on that when one of you, you know, is basically borderline spoiled brat, <laughs> gets something fun, has a team around them, earning, you know, fairly decent money when you're at the top of the game, um, being able to do podcasts like this and you know silly things like what people wanting to talk to you and wanting to have attention it's it's not an easy thing to deal with and I don't think actually it's probably lucky that I'm not a tennis player because I'd probably crumble away (laughs) (laughs) so he's totally right and he wears a lot of hats and um you know it's mainly mainly the support that I think that we offer offer each other I mean we 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 we've always looked at it as a team and I, I really look at, you know, the way that he supports me as a team and he, he works a, a part-time job at the university of central Lancashire in Preston and coaches a little bit, but I'm fully aware that how, how, if I wasn't a squash player, he'd, he'd, he'd have his own, you know, more of his own career, more of his own work lifestyle, if that makes sense. So I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm fully aware that he's given a lot of that up to support me and, everything that I achieve on court, I've always said, you know, I couldn't achieve without him and, and also without, you know, DP and Mark, like we said before, around me. And, um, DP, and Dave, you know, David we, Pearson. You're talking. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we achieve it together, particularly with Danny, because he's the one that has to listen to me moaning when I'm sore, when I'm down in the dumps, when I've had a bad loss, when I'm, my training match hasn't gone as well as I want. And he's the one that has to put up with the giddiness when things are going well. So, it's uh, it's tough. It's it's tough, but it's also you know really really great, really really rewarding. It's fantastic to be able to have him there when when I win. It's it's even better probably when I lose. You know to have that support when when I was first on tour when I was twenty one to probably you know twenty five twenty six before he started travelling with me. You go away, you play tournaments, you win, you lose, and you're trying to do it over a Skype call if if he's managed to watch the match or if if he hasn't, it's you know consoling your wife while she's on the opposite side of the world is not easy so (laughs) um, it's been great it's been a really it's 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 brilliant to have that support and if I'm honest I don't think that I would still be playing now if it wasn't for that it just would it would just simply be too hard well obviously uh, the the team the the relationship the partnership uh, on the squash court is uh, proving to be uh, of high quality you're still playing at, at a very very high level so now, before you go, Laura, before we finish up here, thanks again for, for so much of your time. Um, now, over the years, I guess since you were a junior, you've had um, Nicole da- to deal with Nicole David, greatest women's player arguably of all time. Um, now, in 2011, I guess that was uh, your first Super Series title, and you managed to beat uh, Nicole in the final. Um, what do you remember about that final, and how – how did that win over Nicole at that time affect you uh, going forward? Because it seemed to me like 2011 was a, a flashpoint uh, time in your career. Yeah. Um, I mean, arguably perhaps one of my most important wins for, for several reasons, really having, 
never beaten Nicole up to that point through the whole of my junior career and my senior career. Um, having, um, you know, her be so dominant just in her performance over the whole tour, but and, and, and also probably the belief that that match gave me going forward into the rest of, you know, you just think, you, know, you look back and you think, oh, it's just one win in the final of the Cleveland Classic. And, um, you know, it's not, it's not a big deal in the grand scheme of things that Laura's achieved maybe in her career. But I, I, anyone who would say that to me, I just massively disagree because that win mm. was the first, uh, what was back in the day, the gold events at the WSA. Yeah, it was the first gold event. Even it was the first gold event final I'd ever made, actually, let alone win it, and to do it against Nicole. And the belief that that you know it catapulted my belief into realizing that you know, okay, I'm not maybe going to win every single time, but I can win occasionally and, and I can beat the world number one. And it did give me an awful lot of belief. And it's funny because I uh, I went into that tournament um, like I did any other, really, but in the lead up to it, I'd been working with a psychologist who had um, you know, basically started to talk about Nicole a little bit more and whether or not I actually believed I could beat her when we played. I mean, why would I believe I could beat her when I'd never done it? That you know, still as an athlete you have to believe that you can do things before you do them, but how do you how do you get that belief before before you've achieved something when normally you get the belief when you achieve it? So it's sort of like a bit of a circle that you need to snap out of and we actually did a um, a belief process, a neuro-linguistic programming, L NLP process before I left on on my belief and whether or not I could, you know, not not only win a gold event, but beat Nicole if, if the situation sort of arose. And I went out to the tournament, didn't feel any different particularly and managed to get myself to the final. And I remember a couple of people watching it. There was a live stream feed and saying that they just ne had never seen me looking so calm. Um, and, and I remember... You know, I, when I think back to that match, I just remember thinking, you know, I, it wasn't. It was just very performance focused, and it wasn't a big deal that I was playing the call. I mean, obviously, when I got to match ball, I remember thinking, oh my god, I'm, I'm going to actually do this. Now. <laughs> yeah. But up until match ball, I literally hadn't thought about winning, who I was playing, or anything. And I know that the <laughs> you get the win, and it could be down to any factor, and maybe a bit of luck. Who knows what was going on with the call, but. Um, I honestly put it all down to that belief process and the way that I handled myself in that final was something that was completely different to how I'd handled myself before and and the only thing I'd done different was that. So I guess in a way it just shows how important the mental mindset is and the way that you believe in yourself. And from that point, I believed that I could beat her and probably you know didn't get as many wins as I would have wanted at that period, but it was more than anyone else was achieving at that time. So... Right, it I think I think you went on to to beat her several more times uh, after that. Although she she had beaten you as well, but uh, yeah, you, yeah, yeah, I did. I did. Went. She she beat me a lot too, but I was beating her a lot more than anyone else was. Um, I beat her from two 0 down. I think in the Singapore Open, I beat her um, in the in the KL Open when I went on to win that title. And wow. um, you know, some really big wins against her, and and I honestly believe that. You know, if it wasn't for Nicole, I, I, I wouldn't be the player that I am because she set the bar and we had to chase it. And if you wanted to have any chance of being anywhere near the top, you had to you had to get to her level. And, um, you know, I have a huge amount of respect for her and, would you know, wouldn't wish for her not to be part of, of my professional career at all. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess you look back at 2011, that was your your first uh, tick of uh, your tick boxes. And then, and then it just uh, went from there. Yeah, I guess so. Um, you know, it was, quite, it was it was a big. It was 2011 was a big year. I think I won the US Open in that year as well, maybe. And yeah. um, that was a really big event with everybody in it, and um, something. Yeah, it started to come together. I think from that point. Well, Laura, uh, you've been very generous with your time, and I'm I'm really glad to have had you on the podcast. Um, is there anything else uh, you'd like to say before uh, before we sign off today? Um, no, I think, um, yeah, we covered some really good subjects. Hope I haven't did. talked too much. I, uh, I really no, enjoyed uh, it and I'm always happy to. Uh, no, I, I, I just felt bad. It's been almost an hour. Uh, and I've, <laughs> got, I've got 10 more questions here, but anyways. <laughs> <laughs> but I uh, really appreciate you coming on, Laura, and I look forward to uh, seeing you again in Dubai next year, a, little, uh, a fourth try uh, for number three. 
yeah, hopefully, fingers crossed, got to qualify for it first, but hopefully I, I'll be there. Yes, I hope so. I think you will. And uh, again, thanks for coming on and I hope we can do it again. Yeah, I hope so. Really nice to speak to you. Thanks for having me on. Take care, Laura. Well, that was a lot of fun. Uh, thanks so much, Laura, for coming on to the podcast. That was great. Uh, a great chat. We talked uh, about a bunch of different topics there. And really interesting to get your uh, side on all of those things. The, the Nicole David uh, uh, win in 2011, which, uh, you know, to me, just looking back at your career uh, at, at this stage, looking back at it, it really looks like that was what uh, helped uh, helped her get uh, and reach her true potential and got that sort of uh, monkey off of her back, so to speak, and let her uh, go out there and play to the level uh, uh, that she could, that she's capable of. And uh, the rest is history, you know, uh, world champion, world number one, Super Series titles, and so on and so forth. And uh, hopefully this year uh, she continues that form. Um, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a, a great year on the women's side with so many uh, so many girls competing uh, even beyond the top ten. There are girls out there that uh, that are going to compete uh, for the top spot in the world. So it doesn't get much better than this on the women's side. Um, and hopefully over the next uh, few weeks we'll have a couple of more ladies that are, that will be competing for that top spot on the podcast. I'm excited about that. Uh, don't want to jinx anything because um you know sometimes uh, these things fall through but uh hopefully we'll have a few more of uh, laura's peers onto the podcast and uh yeah it's a, an exciting time for squash not only on the women's side but also on the men's side as well so yeah we've got a lot to look forward to in 2018 2019 and uh, hopefully you uh, have a lot to look forward to as well in terms of your squash um i might get out and play today i'm not sure if i have time but uh looking forward to that i had an interesting match last week against uh, a couple of young guys uh sometimes things get a little bit i wouldn't say heated but when you get to talking about lets and strokes it sort of uh takes the fun out of it so uh, i'm gonna force myself over the next uh, few matches uh to do my best just to play the ball and uh let let the uh, let the squash do the talking, not the rules. Um, so we'll see uh, if I can manage to do that. Sometimes it's it's difficult when you get into a match and uh, you know see uh, what you think might be a an easy point through a stroke. But uh, you know if you just play the ball, uh, I'm sure you. Uh, hopefully that plays out to your advantage and uh, you win the point anyways and then you avoid any unnecessary uh, stoppages and debates and that, that's not fun but uh, anyways we're going to try to to go that way uh, over the next uh, little while on the squash court so uh, hopefully uh, yeah play the ball let's all play the ball uh, that's what I say have a great day and uh, looking forward to the next few podcasts enjoy your squash and talk to you soon bye for now